All right, welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. Welcome back for another episode. Thank you so much for listening to our last episode on coronavirus. A lot of people you know, wrote in and said, hey, uh, there were a lot of things that I hadn't heard yet in there. And that's always my goal is to be able to share something with you that you're not getting anywhere else. And I mentioned in that episode that I wanted to do probably the next episode, which it is, it's this one, on how a pandemic could be handled without any government intervention whatsoever. So I've heard it thrown around a lot of times that, that this coronavirus thing has proven that libertarians have no answer for a pandemic, that there are going to be people out there who simply will not listen. Uh, they do not have any common sense. They are too selfish or too stubborn or too ignorant to take any kind of health advice into consideration, and that if there's some kind of disease or virus out there that's spreading, these people are going to go out and do whatever they want, and they're going to spread it around, and they're going to make everyone sick, and the whole human race is going to be wiped out. So we need a big, strong government to clamp down on us and to force us to behave. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say already, you know, that the governments are only doing these things because people won't listen. And if people just would listen, then the government wouldn't have to do that. But that they are right to lock you in your homes and to to lock you out of your job and to uh, make it so that you can't get a haircut or you can't sit down in a restaurant, that they are right to do these things because some people just don't listen. And they have to do that to save us and to protect us. But this episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to be talking about American politics or uh, a lot of persuasion that goes along with those things or anything like that. Instead, I want to talk about, I want to ask the question, how would a society with no government handle a pandemic? When Tom Woods talks about these kind of things, he, he usually calls it a free society. How would a free society handle a pandemic? And so in this episode, we are going to pretend that we have a society uh, that is built upon the three principles that we've built this show upon. Peace, property rights, and free markets. That's pretty much it. So if you want to say, you know, perhaps we have a constitutional government that is completely just staying out of the way and all this and that they're not messing with us, or uh, you want to call it a voluntarist society or an anarchist society, I know that word scares a lot of people out there, but... Um, Whatever you are most comfortable with, whether it's a free society, an anarchist society, a voluntarist society, a minarchist or you know, constitutional government, whatever it is, we're going to pretend that this pandemic is happening, but the government is not taking any steps to force us to do anything. And I, I would like to make the case that maybe it wouldn't be so bad after all, and that maybe the pandemic doesn't prove that you've got to have a nanny state forcing you to do the right thing in all of this. So I want to make it completely clear up front. Uh, we're going to be talking about what I would consider to be an ideal situation for our freedom, for peace, property rights, and free markets. This is not something that I think we could snap our fingers and it would just happen tomorrow. This is not something that I would even expect to happen maybe ever. So there are always some of those people who just the, the moment you try to talk about anything outside the box or anything different, they just say, oh, that would never work. That would never happen. And they, they write it off immediately. So to those kind of people, I would just say immediately, this is probably not one uh, that you're going to be able to handle. So you may just want to hit the skip button and come back and, and join us again in a couple of weeks for the next episode. But 
if you have an open mind, if this is something that maybe, you know, you're interested in hearing, you know, how could this possibly work? Because I, I just don't see it happening. I would love to try to persuade you a little bit that maybe this isn't as crazy of an idea as it sounds. But like I said, this is this is an ideal situation. This is not something that our government would allow and, and probably that any government would allow because like I've said before, they always grow, they always take more power, and they always use dangerous, scary situations as an opportunity to gather up more power. So we're going to be going into this thought experiment without government trying to scoop up more power, trying to get involved, and instead we are going to handle it uh, voluntarily between ourselves. Now, where am I getting all this? Well, this is basically... Um, this is kind of a model by Murray Rothbard. Murray Rothbard was an anarcho-capitalist, and a lot of this has been expounded on by Bob Murphy. So Bob Murphy is kind of my main source for this, but, but he's using Murray Rothbard as a source. And of course, I am expounding on what Bob Murphy has said and, and kind of picturing this the way that I would see it. But just in case you want to know where that train of thought's coming from, if you want to look into that more, um, reach out to me and I can I can get you plenty of uh, things to listen to and things to read by Bob Murphy that kind of explains where they're coming from in how a society might look this way. So the most important thing, and I mentioned this before, is that when I talk about these things, I may not be right. This may not be the best way to do things. And there may be details or there may be certain parts of this um, that I might just be wrong on. But the wonderful thing about freedom is... If somebody gets something wrong, you can move on and try something else. If my method of handling a certain aspect of society doesn't work, there are another, what, like 350 million people in this country who may have other ideas of how to do it better. And we can all continue to work together and we can try these things and we can keep what works and we can get rid of what doesn't work. And you don't have a government stepping in, forcing you to do things their way and to, to try a lot of these same things over and over again. And so we all have input on that instead of just whoever's in charge, whoever's calling the shots. And so when the government doesn't have a monopoly on the justice system or business licenses or all of those kind of things, we're free to try new things until we get it right. And we're free to allow those things to evolve as we grow and evolve as a people and as a society. So so I want to give kind of a brief overview of what society looks like and kind of how it would operate, and then we'll talk about how that society would handle this pandemic. The most important thing to remember here is just because we don't want government doesn't mean that we don't want any of the things that government provides. Uh, that's something that we run into a lot when we talk about these things is, you know, you say, look, I don't think that the government should be in charge of education. And what people hear is, I don't want people to be educated. You tell that to teachers, and, and the teachers think that you want them to lose their jobs, that you want them to be fired. And, and the truth of that is, no, just because I don't want the government in charge of education doesn't mean that I don't want education to exist. Just because I don't want the teacher on a government paycheck and on a state pension doesn't mean that I think that that teacher should be fired. You know, Instead, if you're a teacher and you're good at what you do, you would have the freedom to work for the best schools and those schools could seek you out and, and try to pay you what you're worth instead of getting locked into whatever the, the teachers union says you're supposed to be getting paid because you've been there a certain amount of years. 
um, you wouldn't have necessarily these these bureaucrats, these elected officials over top of you who don't know anything about education, who are creating these standardized tests that your kids have to pass in order to show that you know what you're doing. You know, instead, you are able to allow your merits and your skills to flourish in that system. And that's just the example with education. I mean, you can go on with all of this stuff. Police, fire departments, uh, the justice system, roads. Uh, They always talk about the roads, right? Just because those things wouldn't be mandated by government, just because government wouldn't have the monopoly on those things, doesn't mean that they wouldn't exist and that we still wouldn't have a need or a desire for them. The main difference in all of this would be that you can't force someone to buy it. And if whoever is providing it doesn't provide a good service or doesn't do a good job with it, then people are free to go and get that from somewhere else. It seems like everybody in every state jokes about their state having the worst roads and constantly under construction. And so if the roads happen to be privatized and these roads suck, you don't pay for them anymore. You don't use them. And and that person goes out of business and may lose those things because they didn't provide a good enough product and nobody wanted to use it. But instead, when government has a monopoly on the roads, you'll take what you get and you'll deal with it. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. Uh, Another example would be like the, the fire department. Just because the state doesn't provide a fire department for you doesn't mean that there still wouldn't be a need for people to put out fires and for people to rescue people from car accidents and that kind of thing. So we already see it in certain parts of the country that there are volunteer fire departments where people pay a certain amount for a membership with that fire department. And so they pay, you know, maybe, I think it's a lot of times it's like $50 a year or something like that, and they pay their fire fee and the fire department has them on a list and they know if they get a call from that house, they're going to come out and they're going to do it because this person is part of a a membership with that fire department. And one of the things I mentioned also on the healthcare episode was that I think insurance could take over and take the roles for a lot of these things that government provides right now. And and so if you want homeowner's insurance, they may actually give you um, a much better deal on the insurance if you can show them that you have a membership with the local volunteer fire department. So they know that if your house does happen to catch on fire, you know, say you have a, a small fire in the kitchen, that you have someone on call that's just a few minutes away that's going to be dispatched and going to come out and going to put out that fire so that maybe they only have to replace, you know, your your cabinets and your countertop instead of letting that fire just burn until it takes over your entire house and, and your entire house burns down, right? So they are incentivized to save money by encouraging you to you know, have a fire department on call and you are incentivized to save money by having that fire department and, and showing your insurance that you have that. So I think a lot of these things like I said, just could be handled by insurance in that way. You could say, make the same argument with police. Maybe there's not an official government police that's around you, but you're still going to want security. You're still going to want to have someone on call that if you hear someone starting to break into your house in the middle of the night or something like that, that you can call those people for help and that they will come in and and help protect you and protect your family and your property. And the good thing about this is if you have a really crappy fire department or you have a really crappy police department in this free society, you're free to go somewhere else. If nobody likes the, the cops in this area, then they're going to be incentivized to go spend their money with another police force of some sort, with another security department, I guess would probably be a better word for that. But if nobody likes them, you're going to move to the other one. So they're going to be incentivized to 
provide a good service and to do a good job and to have good interactions with people when they can um, so that the customers are happy and so that their business grows. Whereas if the cops are bad in your town or the police department's no good in your town, well, tough. You're stuck with it. You can file a complaint, but they're going to investigate themselves and they're going to find that they didn't do anything wrong and things are just going to continue as is. Uh, One of the big differences in this society, one of them would be the court system because you don't have everybody having to answer to the same courts. And this sounds like a big mess and I can't go into all of this right now, but Rothbard talks about uh, kind of the way that it used to be, um, I think he called it, you know, in the maritime system and where, you know, if there was a guy who was coming off this ship and coming into port and coming into town or whatever, and he owed a bunch of debts or he was a, a really bad person or something like that. And he had, you know, really just screwed a bunch of people over word would get around about who this person was and none of the bars would serve him. None of the restaurants would serve him. None of the hotels would let him come in and stay there. And so he literally would have nowhere to go and nothing that he could do to kind of stay alive or to make a living until he went back and settled whatever debt or whatever wrong that he had done to make things right. And so in in a similar sense, I think that this society would be encouraged to find courts, to find, you know, even today we have mediators where people will settle things with an employer out of court. And, And whatever this mediator says, you agree to follow the ruling of whatever the mediator rules. And so there would also be courts, there would also be mediators, and people would agree to use those and they would make rulings on a lot of these grievances that we have or a lot of the, the if you harm someone or you know you have a dispute over property or an accident or anything like that and people would be willing to respect a lot of these things and if you have a court that's consistently giving unfair rulings if you have a court that is consistently favoring the rich over the poor or something like that the word's going to get around and people are going to be able to stop using that particular court system or that particular company or whatever, and they will find somewhere that they believe is more fair. And that kind of highlights a problem in our justice system is that if you have the right lawyer or you have the wrong lawyer or you have a bad judge, there's nothing you can do about it. You have no freedom whatsoever, and there's there's nowhere that you can go to complain because the government in its current state has a monopoly on the justice system as well. So I know that's tough. I know we could go down a million different directions about how all of that would work. But at this point, just kind of take my word for it. Bear with me that that Rothbard has thought a lot of this stuff out. Um, And Bob Murphy does a great, he has a great episode. I'll try to remember to attach it on how a criminal justice system might look, what it might look like in that type of society. And um, he's also a pacifist. So he also throws in a big case for how that would work without us actually harming people. Um, as well, that, that you, we would be discouraged from physically harming people and, and a lot of times even physically enclosing them in some sort of jail or cage as punishment for what they do. And I think that that's another big point is that right now, if somebody comes into your house and they injure somebody that you love or they kill somebody that you love, right now they go to court and if they're found guilty, then they get go to jail and they're put in a cage and they sit in there for whatever the allotted amount of time is, and you pay the tax dollars to house them and feed them and clothe them and to protect them while they're being punished for harming you. So not only have they harmed you in a way that you've lost a family member or a family member's been harmed or you know whatever, but now you're also paying to keep them alive and to keep them safe uh, while they're being punished for what they did to you. So you're getting punished through their punishment. 
And I think that in this type of system, a lot more things would just be handled on a monetary basis. So there may be kind of a given amount of money for hurting somebody. So if you start a fight with someone or, you know, you, you, sucker punch somebody, the court is going to rule that you're going to have to pay them a certain amount of money for the suffering that you caused and a certain amount of money for their medical bills to, to make sure that they were healed up and all that stuff. And that would make sure that not only is one person punished for doing something wrong and violating somebody else's rights, but that the person who was injured is the one who's getting the reparations for whatever's gone wrong there. So um, a lot of these things I think could be handled without jail time. And uh, Bob... Murphy also talks about how, you know, you may actually have some sort of, um, I don't remember exactly, I don't know if he even has a word for it, but I would call it almost like a well-being insurance or something like that, where the same way that your car insurance covers if you cause an accident, they're going to pay to fix the other people's car and they're going to pay to cover the other people's medical bills and that kind of thing. And, and you pay for that now um, because you never know what's going to happen. You know that sometimes accidents do happen. You know, maybe you are driving home from work tired and you fall asleep behind the wheel or um, maybe, you know, there's bad weather or whatever it is. We do understand that sometimes accidents do happen and that good people do still accidentally hurt other people and it may be their own fault even though, Maybe they didn't have bad intentions, you know, whatever it is. So if you do injure somebody in some kind of way or, you know, you do maybe get desperate or crazy or something and you do break into somebody's house or try to steal something from somebody, um, you may have insurance that covers you that would help you cover the costs of whatever the reparations are for fixing the wrong that you've done. And of course, if you've been the type of person who's been in trouble more than once, then those that insurance is going to raise up and you're going to be a higher risk and it's going to be harder for you to do that. But people may not want to interact with you if you don't have that kind of coverage, right? So that would be one way that we would handle a lot of those justice issues. So one of the other things that would be very different in this society is property. All property would be private. There would be no public property. Because the idea of public property, anyway, really causes a lot of issues and really causes a lot of confusion because public property is supposed to be property that we all own. That's what public is supposed to mean, that we've you know, all paid for it with our tax dollars and we all pay with our tax dollars to maintain it. Um, but the truth is, even though supposedly we all own it, really you don't own it at all. You go to a national park and try to cut a tree down and tell me and that you have part ownership in that, right? You know, let's say that your city has a bunch of public land and they decide that they want to build a stadium on that property. And they're going to build a stadium and there's going to be a new professional sports team coming to your town. And the whole town is really excited about this new sports team that they're going to be getting and they're going to have this new stadium for it. And the mayor maybe could get into a fight with the owner of that sports team and have some sort of quarrel and he cancels the whole thing and vetoes it all and doesn't allow them to come. So you could literally in your city have a million to one vote that you do want this sports team to come and have this new stadium, but because, you know, the mayor or whoever has the right veto power, they can shut that whole thing down. So that whole thing is a giant mess. You really don't have any say over what happens on the public property. It's up to whatever the elected official is. And of course, what they want to do is whatever's in their best interest to help them get reelected. So they're going to make those decisions according to what they think is best. And if you're the public, you have no, you have no say over that. So uh, in this system, there would be no public property because 
like I just explained, public property really doesn't make any sense. It's really not public at all. It just belongs to whatever the government is, and you have no say in it anyway. You just get to pay for it. So there would be, all property would be private. Every bit of land, basically, um, someone would, would lay claim to it, and they would own it. And yes, that means that the roads would be privately owned as well. And a lot of people say that the reason that government has a monopoly over building the roads is because no one else has the, um, the oversight and the ability to plan out where the roads are going to be paved and what's going to lead to where. And, and, and they, lay, they take care of all these things and they take the land that they want for the roads so that the rest of us can work around that um, and, and make our businesses and our houses and everything operate around where the roads are. So that's a big objection that a lot of people have. But the truth is, if your business depends on getting people to where you are, you're going to make sure that you have some way for people to travel to get to you because your business depends on it. The, the auto companies in this country are huge. If, if we were to privatize everything right now, they would have a massive interest in making sure that there were ways that you could still buy their cars and, and get them from point A to point B. Infrastructure is a, a really important part of any society, and I can assure you that, that we're all depending on it for us to get to the grocery store, um, for the grocery store to get us to them, for us to get to the gas station. Everything that we need, we all depend on each other in that. And so I think it is absolutely possible that we're going to find ways to get to one another, and most likely that would probably be with roads. And maybe there's a company that just oversees roads, and maybe that's what they're good at and what they do. And so they have an incentive to do what they can to make money. So maybe you have a certain membership or, um, you know, of course, there's always toll roads as well, but I don't think it would be convenient. I think it would get really old really quickly if you had to pay a toll everywhere you went every single trip. And that would be their property, and so they would, you know, want to enforce the right rules and, and make a decent speed limit and that kind of thing to make sure that people were happy and safe on their road. And if, if this road gets a really bad reputation, maybe somebody else comes in and builds another one nearby, and everyone wants to use that one instead. So people will vote with their dollars. People will vote with their memberships, and, and we will find the best way to make those things. And I, I honestly don't think it would look a lot differently than it would right now, because that's something that's so essential that we would be very, very inclined and incentivized to make that work, to find a way to make it work. And um, that would be one of the top priorities of society is to make sure we can get around properly. And that brings us to another big difference in uh, this society versus the one that we're currently in. Private property also means personal responsibility. You are responsible for what happens on your property. You're responsible for the things that you allow to happen. You know, in this current public system that we have where everything is in public and, you know, we get to roam around on public land and on public roads and all of this stuff, the responsibility, it, it kind of falls back to the state, but it really doesn't, the responsibility really doesn't get taken by the state. So if we see somebody doing something inappropriate, like, um, you know, you see somebody, uh, physically punishing their child in the grocery store and they're being a little bit too rough and you know you, you kind of think that it's being a little bit too violent a lot of times what we do is we we shake our head and we go oh somebody should do something about that you know somebody should call the cops somebody should call child protective services on them and everybody kind of shakes their head and then they just move on and usually nothing happens with that because we all kind of think man somebody should do something um, but who is that somebody? You know, we really don't know. We just wish that things would happen better. 
and you don't want to cause a big scene, so you're probably not going to do anything, and you kind of mind your own business, or you wait for somebody else to jump in, and, and nothing happens. And so a lot of times, nobody even calls the police, or nobody even calls Child Protective Services, or, or whatever it may be, or you know maybe somebody's just flat out acting rude or disrespectful in a public place, and there's, there's not really anything that you can do because... Part of that little, that kind of civility that we have is we say, well, you know, they have a right to be here too, so I'll just move on and and let them be rude to people or let them be, you know, whatever. However, with private property, um, you're responsible. You can be held responsible if if you're negligent and somebody gets hurt. You know, you can be held responsible if, um, you know, you're able to see that, you know, someone who is helpless, you know, maybe like a child or a disabled person or the elderly or whatever, you know, if they're being mistreated, and you don't do anything to stop it, you could be in trouble for that. You could be held legally responsible and, and be sued for letting it happen. So the, the manager or the owner of the grocery store has an incentive to say, hey, we don't act like that here. You stop right now. Otherwise, I won't allow you on the property anymore. You won't shop here again. And that can happen in a restaurant, a grocery store, anywhere. You will not do business here again. We will kick you off the property and you will not be allowed to return if you can't act the proper way. And maybe more importantly, I'll tell everybody I know that, you know, you're a bad person who mistreats people and who can't act properly around other humans. And I'll tell everybody I know not to let you shop at their store either. And so immediately we see this shift from somebody should do something to I could get in trouble for letting this happen and I'm going to put a stop to it because I have some skin in the game as well. And I'll tell everyone else to protect themselves on their property too and and not to let you shop there either. And that would bring us to another big difference in a free society, that discrimination is not considered a bad word anymore. It's actually part of what helps society function. And I've mentioned this before, you know, that you discriminate uh, in your own life, you know, whether we, we don't like to call it that because it, it sound, comes off as a bad word and has a lot of bad connotations, but you discriminate against, you know, what kind of places you like to eat. You know, if you've had bad experiences at a certain restaurant, you don't go back to that restaurant. You know, I said before, you discriminate in your dating life. You know, if you are a straight male, you're not interested in dating other males. If you are married, you may not be interested in dating anybody else. So we discriminate already. We discriminate with the types of friends that we would like to have, with the types of jobs we would like to have, the places we shop. We do all of those things already. But unfortunately, when you personally discriminate against somebody uh, in a business setting or anything like that, you run into a lot of problems and you can be sued and you can have lawsuits and all this kind of stuff can happen, but it wouldn't be that way in a free society. Instead, like I said, discrimination would actually be something that would be kind of encouraged. And if, if you see someone who, you know, going back to that example, you know, somebody who, who beats their kids in a grocery store, um, you can discriminate against them and you can say, look, if you're going to treat your kids like that, we're not going to help you out. So you are incentivized to stop that kind of bad behavior and those kind of harmful activities on your property. And they are also going to be incentivized to act better because their livelihood could depend on it. If you're a bad enough person that you upset everybody in town and no one wants to give you food, you know, that's a problem. And so you're, you're going to want to make sure you do what you have to do to get along with others so that you can do business with them and so that you can conduct your life. And Obviously, you ask the question, so you might say, you know, what if there's a grocery store that won't sell food to black people because they're racist? 
um, I don't think there's as much reason to be concerned as a lot of people might think. Because when you look back at a lot of the racism that's happened uh, in this country in particular, a lot of that was enabled by the government. The federal government passed runaway slave laws. If a slave ran away from the South and ran into the North, they were supposed to catch them and send them back. And so that's, you know, one way, very obviously, where a lot of people would have loved to have helped these people, um, but they were discouraged by doing so by the government. And they were discouraged from helping, and that just kind of made that problem worse. You know, and then you move on uh, a little bit later in history, and you have all of the Jim Crow laws. And a lot of those things were held on for a lot longer because... Maybe even if you did want to serve black people in your restaurant or your grocery store, you had to keep things separated because that was the law and you could be fined or you could lose your business for not following that law. Um, Ben Shapiro actually, uh, of all people, does a really good video where he talks about a lot of those things and how they could have been changed. But, you know, instead, if you allow people to freely interact, if you allow voluntary exchanges between people and you allow voluntary exchanges with money, um, you're going to be incentivized to get along with people even more, right? If, If you are a racist grocery store owner who won't serve black people, you are missing out on an entire demographic of people who would probably like to come to your store and spend money with you. And so when we're in a free society where, you know, the exchange of money is voluntary and everything that you do with other people is voluntary, then I think that that type of racism and that kind of stuff would go away much more quickly. Because instead of being in a system where government is telling you that you are legally required to to treat them differently and to stay away from them and not to do business with them, and then and then the civil rights movement happened, and kind of with a flip of a switch, all of those things changed immediately. So you've had the, the same government that's been conditioning people to stay separated and conditioning people to dislike people of a certain race, and now you've changed it over and you're forcing these people that, that you know, yesterday you were telling them that they needed to hate each other and stay away from each other, and today you're telling them that they have to sit in a classroom together and that they have to sit next to each other on the bus. And, and so you force this very unnatural switch from, you know, 24 hours ago, you were telling these people that, that they were bad and they needed to stay separated. And now you've completely changed and said that they're, they're forced to, to be together. And so if exchanges are voluntary, um, first of all, you can do business with whoever you want and not do business with whoever you want, but also much more naturally, um, by doing business with those people, um, you have a product that they need and they have money that, that you need. And so you are, able to exchange those things, and that's going to bring people of different groups, different religions, different races, whatever, it's going to bring them onto the same page um, much more naturally and and much more peacefully than having a government who was, first of all, was a lot of times was involved and, and stoked a lot of the racism in the first place, and then suddenly they flip a switch and tell you all at once that everything that they've taught you is wrong and that now you're supposed to get along with these people. So... You know, people would get along much better, much more organically um, because of the exchange of money. And that would bring people together, I think, much more than it would separate people. But um, you would still be encouraged to, you know, discriminate against people or against businesses who didn't have the same values that you had. So, um, you know, you see somebody who cannot act appropriately or, you know, is rude to people or inconsiderate or always causes a big scene. You just say, hey, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. And, um, you know, in, in the event that there would be some of the, the, the bad discrimination or the, the racism or those kind of things that we've talked about, you also have every right not to deal with them. So if you did have a store that says, you know, we don't serve a certain type of people, um, you can tell everybody you know, hey, we're not going to shop at that store. 
and very quickly that that store owner is encouraged um, to he's either going to shut down or he's going to learn to be a lot more tolerable of other people because otherwise you're going to take your money and you're going to go somewhere else. So with all that being said, got kind of those ground rules set in place. Let's say that there is a pandemic like the coronavirus coming into our free society based on same thing this show is based on peace, property rights, and free markets. How would we handle it? Well, most importantly, there would be no attorney general or other health official who has the power to make laws and make demands of all of society. That would not exist. We can look to people in prominent positions to give us good advice. We can look to people that we respect. We can get online and do research on the internet. We can have conversations with people in other parts of the world that are maybe already dealing with this. And we can apply that information and that knowledge as we wish. But there is nobody who is able to make rules that say, you know, you're going to shut down all the restaurants and all the barbershops and all the non-essential businesses, whatever that means, because we are going to keep you safe. There's no one who has the authority to do that. But we are free to consider the trade-offs and try to figure out what each of us is most comfortable with. And we can change as quickly and as often as we want. So... You know, this virus is coming in and we're not sure whether or not it's a big deal. And some people are prepared and some people are saying, you know, this is going to be bad. And other people are saying, no, I don't think it's anything. I don't think it's going to be that bad. Those people are still free to make preparations and, and to deal with things as they please. So if you want to shelter in place and stay in your home and, and not go out unless it's absolutely necessary, you have the right to do that. And um, if enough people start to do that, then a lot of other businesses are going to be incentivized to you know deliver to them and, and to start other services and uh, maybe employers find ways to help people work from home because they're concerned about that. But if you're not concerned about it, then you are free to go out and, and roam about the outside world with everyone else who is also not as concerned about it at this point. But uh, as things change and you get more information, you, you hear about more people becoming sick, then you know maybe you say this really is a big deal. You know Maybe I do need to be washing my hands all the time. Maybe I do need to wear a mask in public. Maybe I do need to just stay in the house. You know Whatever it is, you have the, the rights and the options to do that and you have nobody telling you how you have to do it. You're free to make those decisions for yourself. But the argument we have now is what if it is really dangerous? What if this pandemic is deadly to a certain population of people or to all people? What about these stupid people who are selfish and ignorant and rude and don't care about anybody else and they go on with life as usual and they could be spreading this virus around and, and actually killing people? Well, it goes back to personal responsibility. You can be held responsible for the things you do. You can be held responsible for your negligence that harms other people. Especially in a situation like this where it's common knowledge that there is a virus out there that people, a lot of people are very frightened of. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of health officials have said, this is something dangerous. This is something that you need to worry about. This is something we need to try not to spread. Um, you can be well aware of those things. And, and once more, sometimes, you know, accidents happen. You know, in the beginning stages of this, you could pass this virus on or catch it. And, and you didn't even know that it was a threat. But you fast forward a few months and, and the whole world knows about coronavirus and it could happen like that with any other pandemic. So if you know full well that this is a threat and you're still out there spreading it around, 
you could be held legally responsible for that. And just like I mentioned with, you know, a lot of the other things, instead, when we have all of this public property and all of this public space, uh, you kind of get stuck to, well, somebody should do something about that. And you don't care if you go out into public and spread it because there's nothing anybody can do about it. But if you're out wandering around without a mask, without any protective equipment, if you're being reckless and spreading germs and someone's able to prove in one way or another that you were reckless and that you may have been spreading this, then you may be held responsible for that. And so suddenly, now, even if you don't think that this virus is as serious as everybody else is making it out to be, you are still encouraged and incentivized to cover yourself anyway and to be safe just in case. Just to take extra precautions. Even if it is dumb, even if it is a big hoax, I'm going to wear a mask anyway because if that 1% chance that it actually is something bad, I don't want to be held responsible for hurting anybody else or anything like that. The same thing with, with businesses. They see that these kind of things are happening. Maybe they start institu- instituting rules that if you're going to come on my property and you're going to do business here, you're going to wear a mask. You're going to use hand sanitizer. You're going to wear gloves. Whatever those precautions may be, those businesses could be setting them in place to make sure that they are protecting people as well and that they're not held responsible for harboring a place where these kind of things are spread around. Or you know, maybe if you don't want to deal with any of that, maybe you don't want to wear a mask, then maybe there's a a different grocery store that you can go to where they have you sign a waiver and they say, hey, you're allowed to roam around here without any protective equipment, but we're not going to be held responsible for that. So you sign this waiver and say that you waive your rights to to try to hold us responsible because you want to go to this place where you're free to to move and breathe and touch the food, you know, however you please, right? But... Um, you know, ultimately, if you were the one that gets somebody sick, it could cost you a fortune. It could cost you, you know, your life, uh, depending on whatever the penalty for murder could be. You know, if, it, if they have a death penalty or something like that, I mean, you could lose your life because you got somebody sick and, and they died. So that's something that you would be willing to take into consideration and that would help incentivize you to be safe. And so we would have uh, this also this this healthy discrimination that makes us careful of who we allow onto our property. And if you're worried about this virus and you don't want anybody on your property, then you don't let anybody on your property. Now, another thing would be that public shaming also has a place in all of this and where it fits in with that that healthy kind of discrimination that we would have. And as much as I, I hate it because I'm so sick of, of hearing on Twitter and hearing on Facebook that we're all in this together and that we have to stick together and that you you still have to flatten the curve and that we're not allowed to go free yet and all of this stuff. And it, and it drives me insane because I it, it's, just, it's just so much virtue signaling that it, it drives me crazy. But the truth is... If we did have a completely free society, we would still probably see some of this virtue signaling and a lot of this public shaming. And the same way that even now, you know, that somebody's outside when people don't think that it's safe to be outside, you may still have some Karen taking your picture and saying, hey, look at this idiot who's outside running around when they could be getting people sick. I don't think that we should serve this person. I don't think that we should do business with this person. So if you see this person around, uh, if you know who they are, maybe you don't let them shop at your grocery store. Maybe you don't let them buy gas at your gas station. And businesses are allowed and people are allowed to decide whether or not this is a, a big enough offense that they do or don't want to do business with you anymore. But also, you are encouraged to take things on the safe side. And even if you don't think that this is a big deal, maybe you stay inside more, maybe you wear a mask or, or do whatever because... You don't want to to upset the rest of society too badly because you depend on them 
for your livelihood. You need to do business with them and you want to exchange with them. And so maybe it's a little bit safer for you to stay on the safe side and do what everybody else is doing just to be safe. Um, meanwhile, while all this pandemic is raging on and, and you know everybody's trying to make sense out of all of it, you've got private research firms who are able to do research and who are able to work with each other and collaborate however they want to and however they need to to get the right amount of information out to us. And you know, just like today, a lot of people, a lot of rich people like to donate to this kind of stuff. A lot of these people like to give grants so that scientists can research these things. Maybe there would also be some sort of membership where we could chip into that, where we could be a member of that and get some of that information. But those places would be encouraged to provide good information because they want their customers to trust them and they want people to be willing to, to chip in to give money so that they can keep doing this research. Whereas, like we talked about in the climate change episode, instead where government takes over a lot of research and government takes over a lot of grants, people are now suddenly encouraged to only give out the information that the government wants to hear and only to come up with the conclusions that we need more government intervention in these things. And that, that you know, the things that government thinks is a problem is a problem and the things that government doesn't think is a problem is not a problem, right? And you wouldn't have government run or government funded organizations like the World Health Organization with extra legal authority to make rules and make laws and throw their weight around and they also have their funds are protected. You know, they've been pledged to get money from these governments so they can do whatever they want to do and like we're finding out now in the coronavirus situation, it looks like the World Health Organization helped China kind of cover its tracks a little bit and helped China try to pretend that this virus uh, didn't come from them and that it wasn't happening until it was too late. And so if you have a, a private organization that you can prove was negligent or you can prove was involved in a cover-up and, and caused people to die, they can be sued for that. They can be held legally responsible for that and they could actually have to have their doors closed because they did something so reckless and dangerous. But is that going to happen to the World Health Organization? Absolutely not. They're protected. No one's going to be able to sue them. A lot of people are going to complain, but the worst thing that's going to happen is maybe there's a change in leadership. Maybe a different leader gets elected in four years, um, but no one's really going to face the consequences for that. And so with free markets, without that type of government intervention, people are allowed to actually be held responsible for the mistakes that they make and, and to be held responsible for their negligence and harming people in those kind of situations. And then probably the most important thing in all of this is that there's no regulation on businesses. And that means that when this kind of pandemic goes through, businesses can quickly pivot to new methods and whatever needs pop up. If we realize suddenly that we need masks, companies don't need to wait on the FDA's permission to start making masks. If they have the ability to do it, if you have a manufacturing company and you want to shut down whatever it is that you normally make so that you can make masks, you can do that. And you have personal responsibility for the things that you make. So you don't need licensing. You know that you can be held responsible. If you make crappy masks that make people sick or that give them a false sense of security and they're able to prove that you didn't do a good job, then you can be held legally responsible for that. You could lose your company over that. So you're going to be incentivized to, to do the right thing and to, to help people and to make a quality product. But um, businesses are going to see that they're going to see money in that and more people are going to run to that to chase that money. 
And that's going to also help keep prices down for the rest of us. Um, you know, if restaurants need to close dining rooms because that's the best way to keep people safe from this virus, then they're quickly able to shift to food delivery or catering or whatever it may be that they want to do instead. And they don't need some sort of special license to do that. They don't need anybody's permission. They're just going to say, hey, it's in our best interest for us and our customers and for our employees to keep everybody safe, and we're going to close down the dining room. But here's what we're going to do to deliver to you. Here's what we're going to do to make sure that you can still get our food and, and still spend your money with us, and, and hopefully both of us can be happy and safe in that method. And with all of this, the customers vote on these practices with their dollars. And people are going to spend money in ways that are most convenient for them and in ways that they are feel the happiest and the safest. And so this pandemic is so bad that the entire world needs to change the way it operates, then customers and businesses have the freedom to make those changes and make those decisions and, and to take those safety measures without locking the entire society and the entire economy down until the governor decides how he is going to handle this issue. Instead, we figure out how to handle it as a society. We figure out what's best for us and we make the changes and we take responsibility, and we make it happen. But hopefully, you know, that gives you a little bit of an idea of how this would work and um, the fact that it could work. And maybe you don't want to go all the way overboard. Maybe you don't want to go to no government whatsoever. You know, maybe you just want government to be smaller or whatever it may be. I just want to make it clear, wherever you stand with liberty, I'll stand with you. I can find plenty of things to have in common with uh, people on the left and people on the right, and I think that's the most important part of all of this, is I've started this show wanting it to be a way to bring people in to love liberty more, to love freedom more, and to see that when government takes over things, when government takes control of things, there are always unwanted side effects. And I know that a lot of these are just absolutely radical ideas and that this really scares a lot of people. So I just want you to know that even if you don't agree with me in this or even if there are parts of this that you can't get on board with, you are still more than welcome to listen to this show and more than welcome to continue the dialogue and to ask questions and, and to push back on these things because more than anything, I just want this to be a place where we can bring people into this. And I'll be happy to agree with you on the things we agree with and um, the things that we don't agree on that's okay. We can still be friends, and I'm still going to hope that maybe I can pull you around on my side sooner or later, but even if not, uh, we know where we stand on those things, and, and we are going to stick together in the, the ways that we can agree. Okay, I'm going to cover some of the questions. Uh, one of these is from Twitter. He said, one thing that I'm wrestling with liberals and conservatives about, uh, they acknowledge that the CDC and a lot of these people dropped the ball, um, but they say even if private industry finds solutions, government is needed to coordinate the logistics of distribution. Is that a legitimate concern or is that just people stuck in a central planning mindset? Um, I think it could be a little bit of both. I mean, I think you obviously, you know, I mentioned earlier how the World Health Organization, we see it seems that they may have, you know, kind of helped China try to cover up a lot of the, the mistakes that they made. Um, but needing a government to distribute this to all the people that's just another opportunity for another business to to take care of these things. Uh, there could be a business who specializes in uh, distributing information to people, you know, make sure that people are getting important information. There, there's someone who could specialize in that type of thing, people who could be trusted to implement plans. Um, you know, there are people who have degrees in disaster management, and those people would still exist even without a government to work for. That knowledge would still exist and would still be needed 
even if there wasn't a state forcing all of these things into law and making these things happen. There would still be tornadoes and hurricanes and floods, and there would still be sicknesses, and, and those kind of people would still be needed, and, and those kind of people would still be valued. So I think that while we look to the government to do those things, once more, if it's important, we're still going to be looking to somebody to do those things. But the difference would be that we're going to look to whoever can do it the best. And if somebody messes up, and somebody hurts people or, or you know, is, is negligent or anything like that, then we can move on from them. And it can cost them their job, and, and we don't have to make the same mistakes with those people again. Uh, a couple of the other questions. Um, who would be responsible for the lawsuits that come when schools and businesses don't close and all sorts of people get sick and look to sue the people responsible? I think I covered that. Those people would still be held responsible in court, and because they could be held more responsible, they could actually be, um, there aren't as many loopholes to get out of or any of these things with public property. I think people would have a bigger responsibility in that, and they would understand that, and they would be safer because of that. Uh, how would we get everyone on the same page with social distancing? You don't have to get everybody on the same page with social distancing. People are free to make their decisions. Uh, different people can operate differently. Different cities and towns would operate differently. Um, you know, New York City and Los Angeles have very dense populations, and they may have real reason to be concerned about coronavirus spreading with them because people are packed in such tight quarters. So they may have to take much more drastic measures to, to stop the spread of this and to keep their people safe uh, than somebody would who you know lives out in the Rocky Mountains somewhere where there's not another house for miles. So we don't have to be on the same page, but um, when you do interact with other people, you have the freedom and they have the freedom to choose whether or not to interact with you, to choose whether or not to do business with you. And so you are going to be encouraged and incentivized to get along with other people and to act in a way that other people are comfortable to be around you um, so that you can continue to do business and, and get along with people as well as possible. Um, who would bail out the businesses that fail during the crisis? This is a little bit more, this is kind of a tough question, but one of the important things to remember is the economy as we know it is heavily influenced by the government and is heavily manipulated by the Federal Reserve. And so the, the knobs are turned in such a way that people are encouraged to spend money far more than they're encouraged to save it. There's almost no incentive to save any money back. Uh, that they make sure that there is so much cheap credit out there and that they're always willing to loan more money to people that you are constantly going to be borrowing more money for whatever business projects you have or you know stocks, corporate corporations are borrowing a lot of money and that kind of thing. Um, and then in the event that you do run into trouble and you, you have a rainy day, um, you're just going to put it all on the credit card and you're going to run those credit cards up even more and, and get even more credit. And so we are encouraged in the way that society is now to spend, 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 spend. And, and inflation, uh, they also want to make sure that there is a certain amount of inflation so that, so that the money you're holding is slowly worth less and less as well, and which also encourages you to spend because one of the kind of things that um, a, a lot of these people will argue is that if there were deflation, you know, if money was actually gaining value, um, then prices would fall. And if prices were falling, then they say that people wouldn't actually 
be willing to buy anything and that that would really hurt the economy because people would be waiting for the prices to fall further and further because why would I buy it today when I can buy it cheaper tomorrow? And why would I buy it tomorrow when I can buy it cheaper the day after? And um, Tom Woods points out that this is, you know, this is ridiculous. That uh, For a lot of things, we buy them now because we want them now. You know, you're not going to hold off a month on buying a cup of coffee because you think that that cup of coffee is going to be cheaper in a month, right? I, I want a cup of coffee today with my breakfast, so let me get the coffee now. And people are still going to buy things um, because they still want them. But uh, unfortunately, the people in charge don't see things that way, and they want charge prices to continue to rise, and they do that with inflation, and once again, they do that with cheap credit, and they encourage people to spend, and that also causes this big false boom-bust cycle that we have, and one day I'll talk about the Austrian business cycle theory, which explains why uh, we have these giant booms, and then we have these big recessions that happen every 10 or 15 years, and um, if we had a more honest economy, if we had an economy that was based upon sound money and free markets instead, um, then people would be more encouraged to save and people would be more encouraged to be able to look at the interest rates and actually use those as signs that tell them whether or not there's a lot of money that's out there ready to be invested or whether or not that there's too much credit out there and that maybe we need to save in, save a little bit more uh, for a rainy day just in case something happens. So there would be no bailouts. But also, companies, I think, would have more money saved up because they would not be artificially encouraged to spend, spend, spend all the time and to, to spend money the second they got it. And unfortunately, and if it's something like this that is a once-in-a-century thing, maybe people are willing to buy some sort of insurance policy that covers them in the event of a pandemic that can keep their business afloat and keep their bills paid for six months or a year or whatever it is, um, or maybe... Sometimes things do happen and people do get blindsided and people do lose businesses because of their mistakes or because of unforeseen circumstances. Um, but the good news is there's going to be somebody out there who's able to buy that up, who's able to buy that capital up. Peter Schiff keeps talking about, you know, we don't have to bail out the airline companies. You know, the, if, if airline companies all go under, those airplanes still exist. We still know how to buy airplanes and to build airplanes and somebody else can buy those up after the companies go bankrupt and they'll start those businesses up again and and it may change hands and it may happen under someone else but society can still grow and our economy can still grow even when there is hardship and even when some people uh, either make mistakes or get some misfortune And uh, I think that covers all the questions. I think I answered everything and covered as much as I could. Hopefully I didn't go too long, but I just wanted to take the opportunity to, to pitch this idea and to say that in the event of a pandemic, this is not proof that libertarianism is dead, that this is not proof uh, that anarchy would never work, that this is not proof that you need a nanny state to rule over you and lock you in your house and to, to tell you that you can't go to work until they think it's safe for you to go out. Instead... As free people with voluntary interactions based on the principles of peace, property rights, and free markets, not only could we survive a pandemic, not only could we save humanity from the coronavirus or whatever else is out there trying to kill us, but without government's help, I think we could actually get along better. I think we could actually live more peacefully and we could prosper even more than we are now. 
thank you for listening. I know this was a very different episode. I know this is not the normal kind of thing, and, and they're not always going to be like this, but I did want to take this opportunity just to talk about this idea and just to throw it out there and uh, to give you something to think about maybe and, and maybe a few different things that you've never considered before and uh, hopefully just bring you a little bit closer to absolute freedom and absolute liberty. But even if not, thank you for sticking around. Thank you for listening. Next episode will be probably back to more of the normal format, but I just wanted to take this opportunity to talk about something different and to throw something out there uh, that would maybe give you something to chew on, something to think about, something to, to ask yourself what's really possible when we look outside of a world and a society that's constrained by government. So whether you are working or you're sheltering in place or you're going back and listening to this episode months or years later after this whole pandemic has passed us, uh, whatever it is, I hope that you are safe and you are healthy and you are happy. And until the next episode, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.